0: If you just stop at that point point, like, well, I've accomplished, I'm a master, you're going to find yourself way, way behind down the road and you're going to realize that the title doesn't mean anything. If you're forging and hitting a hot piece of steel, you're pretty much concentrating on that and it's a way for some people to just kind of escape. It's easy to just say, screw those people, like who cares what that idiot thinks, but the problem is that idiot might be a congressman in California. I remember when telling people I was a knife maker used to be a weird thing you know and nowadays you tell people you're a knife maker and their first thing they say is well were you on forge and fire this is Josh Smith at Montana Knife Company and you're listening to the Wild Initiative
1: Put down your lante and pull on your boots. I would rest at peace for eternity if my legacy was that I made a positive influence on the non-hunting public about what hunters are and what hunting is.
2: I finally got my buck on our last real day of hunting.
1: So
3: a pro-hunting organization is voting against hunting and that says anti hunting to me there was a
2: year straight where i was averaging up to 200 death threats a day i hugged
0: it like i just wanted to hug a bear it's proven that the average steak in a grocery store touches 50 to 100 hands and machines and we're putting that into our body
3: hey y'all cable smith host of the lone star
1: outdoors show here this is adam weatherby i'm Corey jacobson with elk 101 this
0: is christy titus
1: hey folks this is john bear
3: you're listening to the wild initiative
2: Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of the Wild Initiative, brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective.
3: This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more.
2: All right, y'all. So I took the trip up to Missoula. I'm hanging out in the shop of the one and only Josh Smith of Montana Knife Co. Josh Smith Knives on Instagram. Y'all may recognize him from he's he's pretty big deal.
0: <laughs> I don't know about that. He, he was
2: on Fortune and Fire, you know. Yeah, I know that's like the gold standard, right? Yeah, um, right. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> that's the last the last thing on the resume. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm hilarious.
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but I am here with Mr. Josh Smith up in uh, uh, just outside of Missoula in Frenchtown, Montana. Josh, thanks for having me
0: up here. It's Yeah, thanks for making the drive up on the kind of snowy, wintry wintery weather here. Actually, today's kind of nice.
2: But. I was going to say it was actually like the perfect, I was looking at the weather and I was like, this is the perfect time to drive up because it's like 20, like yeah. 19 and 20 degrees for the two days before. So it'll still be cool, but it's like all the roads will be perfectly clear at this
0: point. Yeah. Yeah. Any time in the last couple of weeks wouldn't have been good, but today's pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I've I've been... It's funny. I've been joking with some of my friends. I'm like, I really wish... I was kind of hoping for kind of a gnarly winter this year, but it's been r- insanely mild. It has been like the mildest winter I've yeah. read about in years. Yeah. And, uh, but I was hoping for kind of this gnarly winter because... Every, pretty much the entirety of my town are, are fellow Californians. Yeah. And I was really hoping it would scare a
0: lot of the, the non-dedicated ones away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've all been hoping for that. Yeah. But instead, it was like the easiest winner on record, oh I think. God. And I, I feel like kind of a
2: giant hypocrite saying that, being <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, I'm the Californian that came out to Montana. But yeah. I don't know. I like to think I'm the kind of Californian. Yeah, that... we need
0: we need the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh oh, that 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 winter's coming. Might not be this winter, but that winter's definitely coming. Oh yeah, it'll drive a few people home. Well, and who knows?
2: I mean, who knows how long winter's going to hold on? Now you know, for all we know, it could
0: yeah snow till May, sticking around <laughs>
2: until May, and yeah, you know, rather uh, unpleasant spring. But yeah, we'll for sure. But yeah, so I would love if you could just introduce folks do a little bit about yourself and and. One thing I would love to know is how you got introduced to the outdoors, hunting, fishing, all of this and then also how you got into knife making originally.
0: Sure. Well, yeah, I uh I'm full-time custom knife maker. Um just this last year I actually launched a production knife company called Montana Knife Company. Um but I've I've been making knives for it's well, dang near thirty, like twenty eight years since I was eleven years old. So um, I've been around the custom knives forever. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that's so that's kind of what I do. Um, the the production knife company is kind of a new and exciting thing where we're making, you know, the the knives for kind of the average everyday everyday hunter, the guy that wants a good quality hunting knife and uh, or using knife or maybe a rancher that's using them out on the ranch cutting bale strings or whatever. Um and then on my on my custom side I build more of the high end kind of art collector type museum pieces. So uh that's what I do in the knife making um in the knife making world and I I guess before we get into the outdoors I can just finish that off as far as how I got into it. Uh I started make, like I mentioned, I started making knives when I was eleven. So uh my little league baseball coach actually started teaching me. Um he would bring his hunting knives to practice and show us and and uh, he was also a big hunter and he was a, he was an outfitter, had a guide service in the Bob Marshall um, but he started showing me how to make knives. My parents got me one of his knives and I went to his shop and then honestly just really took to it and uh, over the next you know year or two I, I mowed lawns to make money to buy knife equipment for my shop at my house and my dad's, my dad gave me a little spot in his shop to make knives and then kind of quickly kicked me out. Of his shop because <laughs> I was making such a mess with grinding dust and, and everything. And so he we enclosed a little spot in a lean to and he gave me my little dirty work area and, and uh kinda just went from there. So uh, really became serious at it right away and and had some pretty cool accomplishments by the time I graduated high school and or just shortly after the the next year I became the youngest master bladesmith in the world and um, yeah. From there, it's just kind of turned into a career. So, Well, you know, it's,
2: it's funny. It's one of those things to where, you know, I grew up in Southern California. And back when I grew up, it wouldn't be that big of a deal if, like, you know, your little league coach brought a knife and, like, was showing it off. And especially right. if it was something made, like, really wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But, like, nowadays, could you imagine, like, a little league coach in somewhere like Southern California showing up with knives to
0: practice? Yeah. You'd probably see that on the news. Oh dear. Like, are you, (laughs) luckily we still live in an area here. I mean, it's kind of funny you say that like a couple of my kids have had to do like history projects at school where they have to make a, an artifact or something. And so my kids have actually made my, my daughter made a beautiful battle ax and my other daughter made a dagger and uh, sent them to school with them. And, uh, we kind of laugh like it's kind of cool that it's still kind of okay. Now, no other kids are really allowed to bring weapons to school, but my kids were able. (laughs) And I was even even when I was in school, I was like the one kid because I was constantly bringing knives to school to show my teachers Because my science teacher, my shop teacher, my math teacher, they were also like big fans of it. And um, my principal, she thought it was awesome. So I'd bring, it started to get to be like pretty serious, like big knives, you know? And uh, then it got to where my, my principal's like, it's cool, you can bring them, but why don't you just bring them straight to my office, leave them in there, we'll show the teachers. You know, you, you can't really have them hanging out in your locker. <laughs> let's uh, let's kind of check these in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was definitely that kid, but yeah, nowadays, boy, not so much.
2: Well, it's like nowadays, if you, I mean, you hear stories about a kid will be on like a Zoom call for remote school and they'll have a BB gun leaning up in the corner. Right. And suddenly the police are called. The police yeah. are shown up at their house, yeah. or they're kicked out of kicked out of school, quote unquote. You know. Yeah.
0: No, I have a buddy whose kid, and this was really unfortunate, but he they he was uh, suspended for a day or two. For, they were playing cowboys and Indians, and a teacher caught him like fake shooting a kid at oh, the recess, geez. and they made a big deal out of it. And so, uh, his kid was like suspended for a couple of days from school and so was the other kid so he took him hunting <laughs> so he's like you're not in trouble kid but uh, yeah Here, let, me re-
2: let me reward you for that
0: but honestly it's too bad like I-, I think there needs to be more exposure with kids especially in areas like you're talking about in those big cities where not every kid's going to go to college like not all those kids are going to go be doctors and lawyers and-, and exposing kids to welding and grinding and cutting and torches and that kind of like kind of blue collar job work where quite frankly, that kid could graduate, graduate school and two years later be making 50 bucks an hour as a welder. Um, that kind of stuff may, you know, I would have been fine had I not found knives. I had great parents, great, you know, support and I would have been fine, but that kind of stuff might actually save a kid's life. I mean, he could go from being kind of a, you know, thug kind of kid that's in trouble all the time to like, Wow, I really like to weld. Like that's cool. And I want to do that. And it could turn into a career. You know, so. Well, and here's the deal. It's like
2: everyone's like you need to pay my and okay, I'm generalizing and I I heard a lot of people by a post I made on Facebook the other day about liberal arts degrees, but uh it yeah. was I was I was looking to cause a reaction. Of um, <laughs> yeah, course you were. But me never stir the pot. What? Yeah. Um but, you know, the, the whole attitude is now I made a poor decision and took a loan. I probably shouldn't have. And now I want somebody else to pay that off because I decided to get a degree that is either going to take me forever to make money or I will never make enough money to pay this degree off. Right. Um, Or there's just no call for that job or whatever it happens to be. (sighs) You know, a lot of things would be solved if, you know, there wasn't this whole attitude of you're not going to be successful if you don't go to college. Well, I know a lot lot of people that do not have college degrees that are a whole lot more successful than I am.
0: Yeah, Um, no, for sure. And that's I think there's really actually a shift going on nationwide with that because it's just even people who make pretty damn good money can't afford to send their kids to college, like, to pay for it. mm -hmm. And, you know, unless I hit it big, I've told all my kids, I've got four kids and I've told them all, like, I love you, but if you want to go to college, it's great, it's great, but... You're gonna have to figure out how to do it. 'Cause yeah. I can't I can't write the check, you know. You better um, do something important that gets you a scholarship. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's you know, and and I've told him like you, if you're gonna go, that's great, but you better go and you better finish. And it better be in like you said, it better be in something that you know you can you can turn around and and, and get a job in and and I don't know, that's it's kinda too bad because there's definitely gonna be kids that kinda shy away from college that maybe would have done great with it. Um, but I, I think the pandemic stuff's going to change. I think it's going to change things forever when you're starting to see that these kids can get these educations online from home and maybe don't need to live in a dorm and pay exorbitant prices. And, and I think you're going to see some colleges have to transition when their numbers never do come back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hey, supply and demand, if if they can't fill up those dorms, they're going to have to start lowering their prices. Um, you know, if, if, if kids aren't going to college when this is all over. I've been um, I've I've been really curious about that. I've thought about that a
2: lot with how because between the pricing and and the remote work and then I think just the fact that the pandemics made people realize there's a lot more value in these hands-on trade skills. Right. Um, I I am really wondering what that's going to do to attendance numbers and how that is eventually going to affect if if we're going to see a a drop in. Tuition
0: pricing, whatever that happens to be, because well, the trade school stuff. There's, you know, there's not a lot of people that have lost their jobs uh, in in the trade trades because of the pandemic. You know, a lot of those people are still working. A lot of those jobs are they're they're necessary. I mean, if you're a if you're an electrician or a plumber, um, you're pretty necessary. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, you know, my old job, uh, I was a lineman for ten years for the power company, and um, you know keeping the lights on keeping the power power flowing and so there's a lot of those kind of trades welding and whatnot and some of that with industry ebbs and flows a bit you know we know that but in general if you have a skill a real skill you're gonna probably be all right you maybe you have to move you know you might might lose your job in an area and have to move but you're you know you can find those jobs for sure well and that's the thing like i uh You know, a
2: lot of people, it's funny, a lot of people talk about like, you know, I just want to get a job that like allows me to travel and go see different places. I'm like, you want a job where you can effectively go anywhere? Like you you either got to be a nurse or you got to be, have a trade job like, or some, you know, start your own business where you can do whatever you want, wherever you want. But, you know, like a lineman, like you want to see the United States, right? Shoot. I know, I know a weird amount of linemen actually, um, But I was, uh, after hunt season this year, I was sitting down, uh, I was on my way up to Montana and I, I stopped like somewhere in New Mexico, uh, at the sketchiest motel. It was, it was amazing. And there are these dudes and they were like eyeballing me up and down and, uh, um, I was like, either they're looking at the, the elk rack hanging out of the back of my truck, or they're going to rob my truck the second yeah. I Like, and they walked in, they're like, dude, did you just shoot that? And I'm like, oh, thank heavens. Yeah. Um, and we sat and <laughs> we sat out front drinking beers, uh, comparing pistols and, they were telling me all about their, their linemen and they were there for a job and they're like, yeah, you know, next week we'll probably be up in Colorado
0: week after that. We might be in Kansas. Like, well, those contractors, they're doing that. And honestly, like right now, you know, if I was still doing that and wanted to be, I could be, I could easily be in Texas right now with the disaster going on with the down power lines and the flooding and all that stuff, as far as like uh, the broken pipes and the whole nine yards. But from the lineman perspective, the power lines that have been torn down and whatnot, um, it is a cool job because you can kind of chase those storms. Um, I was talking about the flooding, like with if you get the hurricanes and that kind of stuff, and it takes a lot of things out. So, no, it's a fantastic job, and, and in those situations, you make a whole crap ton of money, you know, because you're you're getting paid overtime, double time, pretty much all the time, and um, so yeah, those those trades are definitely definitely where it's at for sure. it Seems like so
2: then. Uh you know, you grew up making knives. What then took you, what then got you
0: into, into hunting in the, in the outdoors as well? Yeah. You know, I never had, like my parents weren't really into hunting. My dad, um, I think hunted more when he was a kid, more or younger, uh, bird hunted and stuff. He was from a, you know, he was a rancher from Southeastern Colorado, but, Uh, so he liked to bird hunt. And I remember bird hunting with him a little bit in Montana, not much. And we'd fish a little, but we had an excavation business. And in Montana, when you're in excavation, when the ground's thawed and the sun's out, you're working. So we didn't do a lot of outdoor activities in the summer. Um, but I was a kid that was super interested in the hunting and I was really fortunate. My uncle lived there locally. So when I was a kid, you know, really before I was old enough to actually hunt, he would take me out take me on little walks. And, you know, he, I remember one time begging him to shoot a, shoot a doe. <laughs> Cause I just <laughs> want him to get a deer. And I think he kind of reluctantly like shot this doe just for me. In fact, looking back on it, he probably used his a tag on it. Just to, uh, <laughs> like, just for the experience for me to like see an animal. I, I was probably like nine, you know, or something, 10. But, uh, but then I had a few people locally there that, that were great that took me as well. Um, a guy taught me how to bow hunt, um, went with him a few times. We had a guy that worked in our business that was a serious bow hunter and good, uh, always, man, he's successful and, but he put a lot of, you know, looking back on it, he put a lot of time in, but he taught me a lot and got me into bow hunting. And so I look back at it and it's kind of crazy. Like I learned to like nobody taught me how to shoot. Like I went, I think I've got my first bow either at a garage sale or somebody gave it to me. And, uh, I don't even understand how I learned how to learn how to shoot, honestly, because <laughs> um, I've I've shot around guys that are like, oh, you're a pretty decent shot. Like, where'd you learn? It's like, I don't, beats me. <laughs> Started doing it, you know, and lost a lot of arrows, that's for sure. But in those old crappy bows. I look at some of those compounds we're using back then, you know, and those old aluminum arrows and whatnot. But yeah, so I had I had and and that's one thing I always tell people, like, man, you know, if you've got a kid in your area that is asking you a lot of questions about it and whatnot, man, take that kid hunting because I would have never gotten to do it. You know, my dad's knees were too bad. And he wasn't into hiking and hunting elk and all that, but I got to do it thanks to people who were just friends, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was that was cool. And then once I got into high school and I could drive, had my own pickup, a uh, buddy of mine, a couple of buddies of mine had ranches around there, and, God, we ran all over shooting coyotes and mm-hmm. and hunting birds and, we were gone every weekend i trained a lab in high school and uh we duck hunted and goose hunted and upland hunted it was hunted a ton so it was awesome it was a great way to grow up so one thing you mentioned
2: earlier and uh you are in it's abs right master smith yeah american
0: bladesmith, bladesmith society yep. yeah
2: i always want to I I always slip, and I know it's not that, but I I oops, I always start wanting to say AKC. I'm like, oh no, you're not you're not a dog. No, <laughs> no, no. I'm like, wait, no, that's it. It's ABS. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, so you're an ABS master smith, and you're actually at the time the had the distinction of becoming the youngest ABS master smith.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I tested for when I was actually 15, I tested and became the youngest journeyman Smith knife maker. And then at 19, I, I got my master Smith stamp and, uh, it, you know, it was definitely a heck of an accomplishment at the time. And I don't, I don't know that it'll really ever be beaten, but really honestly, it's more, I, I feel a lot of pride about that. Cause like it takes, it took a lot of work and a lot of dedication as a kid. I look at it like back. I'm like, man, I was pretty dedicated. Um, To get there, it's a little awkward from the standpoint of like, was I really a true master at 19 years old? No. And even like today, uh, where I've reached the level of, like, I'm a way better knife maker than I was when I was 19 and I'm 39. Now, hopefully, you know, when I'm 59, I'm a hell of a lot better than I am today. So... You know that term master, like I, I, I always try to say, like, yeah, but I, I'll, I don't know that I'll ever consider myself really a master because seems like the older I get, the less, like, the less I know, or the more I want to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I passed the tests; it was definitely a, you know, quite an accomplishment for sure. Well, it's it's one of those things. It's
2: it's just a title. It's not right. I mean, and there's meaning behind it for sure. But and it's I, I almost feel like it's like okay. Would you consider yourself a master? No. Are you a master smith? Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. yeah, And and, and I always tell people it's what you do after you get it. mm -hmm. Like if you just stop at that point, like, oh, I've accomplished, I'm a master. And you just kind of keep making the same knife over and over. You're going to find yourself way, way behind down the road. And you're going to realize like the title doesn't mean anything. Now, do you continue to push forward and keep learning to use those skills to get better? And then also, I, I also like the teaching part of it you know, helping some other people get into it. You know, I've hosted some events, some hammer-ins and different things trying to provide a place for people to learn. Nowadays, is so much different than back when I did that. It sounds like I'm ancient, but like there really wasn't internet, right? I mean, there was internet at that point, but like when I grew up learning in the mid-90s, there was no YouTube or internet or whatever. You had to go to people's shops to learn um, so it was a lot harder to find information, which that's the other portion. I was super lucky to have been involved with knife makers who, as it turns out, ended up being phenomenal, world-class knife makers. At the time, they were kind of learning as well. Um, I could have gotten into a group with of knife makers who didn't have any aspirations of going anywhere, and I, I wouldn't have gone anywhere, really, um, or much slower but I just happened to kind of be on like a rocket ship of, of learning and success because of the people I was also around, you know. So super fortunate, you know. It's like, well, what's it's, that they it's say? Like learning to be a bow hunter when Cam Haynes is learning to be a bow hunter. Right? Yeah, it's like, well, if that happens to be your teacher, then you're going to probably do all right, you know. It's like, what do they say? You're the uh, you're the sum of the the five
2: people you you spend the most time with. Yeah, and I believe in that. Oh, absolutely! And so you surround yourself with, you know, and, and like you said, you could surround yourself with fantastic knife makers, but that don't have any aspirations to push themselves and improve and right and and go anywhere. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like we we're talking about what's your goal with making knives? It's right. like, do you want to become this super ultimate knife maker, or do you just want to make kind of the same set of knives for yourself and your friends and
0: Right, have fun with it. Yeah,
2: there's nothing wrong with either
0: of those things, but you're going to go about things in a different way. Well, and you've interviewed Bert Soren. Um, I really love the the kind of quote that he has, and I don't know if he came up with it or not, but it, um, I you know it it's he likes to surround himself with people who are in that thin air or that deep water, and so like if you want to yep. be if you want to be great at anything if you surround yourself with people who are really in that deep black water that really know, then, you know, if you're smart at all, you're going to probably learn some stuff from them. And especially if you put some work in behind that and and you're respectful and ask the right questions and, and do it in the right way, um, man, if you surround yourself with those people that are up in that thin air, you're going to, you know, if you want to learn to invest and you surround yourself with a bunch of rich guys that make a lot of money investing, you're probably going to be pretty, pretty good, (laughs) you know, and same with hunting. If you're, if you learn to hunt, you know, I I was pretty fortunate with a few of the guys I learned to hunt from that were successful and did it the right way, ethical about it. You know, we weren't running around on, sneaking around on people's private property and, you know, poaching stuff. If you're going to hang around with those people, you're going to probably end up being not, not the most quality hunter, you know? (laughs) So I was fortunate for sure.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, there, the access to information now is fantastic. Yeah. It's an incredible thing. And it allows people that, that don't have access to people like that to yep. at least learn a skill, learn a trade. But it's almost making, I feel like with me sometimes too, it almost makes me a little bit lazy. Right. To where I, it, it allows you to not have to work and go chase those those great people. Sure. Because you can get just enough, you
0: right. know? Well, and and you know, you, it's a good point. And you think about it, like if you're uh, if you're trying to learn how to bow hunt, you I mean, you can watch all the Primos videos you want, you can watch all the Cam Haines and Dudley videos you want, or Aaron Snyder, and try to listen to every podcast they do, um, which is great. And let's face it, for the most part, most guys, most of us aren't going to be able to go hunt with Aaron Snyder, you know, or John yeah. Dudley. But but if you find those guys in your town, um, but that being said, there's a bunch of guys that are no names that just go hunt for their own purposes and aren't on the internet talking about it. That are phenomenal hunters, and imagine what you can learn with somebody like that. If if you were going to go hunt with Aaron Snyder for one hunt, imagine what you would learn, even after you've watched a hundred of his podcasts and videos. You know, um, the little intricacies, um, like I, I always say with knife makers the little things where a guy's talking and he's doing something and all of a sudden you stop and go, hey, why'd you do that? What would you do there? You know, like today I was showing you about sharpening a drill bit, like something that you might not, you know, in my video, I might say, oh, you drill this hole and use this bit first and use that bit first or whatever. but, um, But then I step to the side and sharpen my bit real quick before I do it. And you go, well, hey, how'd you do that? Maybe it's that one little thing that helps a guy, you know, and same in the archery hunting or rifle hunting or whatever. Mm -hmm. One little thing about like, why is that in your pack? As he's having a sandwich and you look down and you see something in a bag, like, what do you have that for? You know, and so you can definitely learn things by being in their, being in their presence, you know. And it's, that's, that's one thing with my elk hunt this year is I, I mean, I've been,
2: this is my fourth year elk hunting and my first year being successful with my bow and uh, well, being successful period, but I uh, harvested with my bow and uh, I, you know, I've learned a ton on every hunt, a huge amount on every hunt, but I learned so many small things that, uh, cause I went this year with a guide. I drew Arizona and uh, my buddy, John Stallone, he's a guide down there. Mm-hmm. And so um, I wanted to go hunt with him and he took me out and there was so much stuff. And he was, a uh, uh, he was, he was pretty hard on me with a lot of things. Cause you know, we're buddies and he knew I could take it from him. Um, Like he would turn around and I did not realize how loud I was in the woods. I thought I was being pretty damn quiet when I, when I'd be sneaking around and I'd be walking pretty quiet and he would turn around and he would look at me like, what the hell is wrong with you? The way I look at my kids when I'm taking them. (laughs) Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. I'm like, and you know, it's, and that's exactly what it was. Like I didn't, you know, I, I grew up fishing with my dad, uh, but we did other stuff like he—he's not a hunter, and so I didn't grow up with my dad like turning around and being like, "Shut the hell up!" Right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, through gritted teeth, looking at me like I'm, like I'm bah, 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 bah. right. But, you know, I didn't grow up with so I honestly did not know how loud I was being tromping through the woods, right? And how fast I would walk and all of this stuff and those little intricacies that you honestly can't really pick that stuff up from a video or a book or. Right. an online course, whatever it happens to be. You can own that stuff. You only learn through experience and through somebody looking at you and being like, dude, walk on the sides of your feet, you know, roll, right. roll your foot in and, and do this, do that. And I'm like, right. okay,
0: okay. And there's sense. only, there's only so much you can learn sitting at home, watching videos. And then there's the other part of where you, you got to go out and fail. And I don't care if you're making a knife or, or archery hunting mule deer um, uh, you know, you blow out five deer in a row, you're going to learn something. Yeah. Um, you know, and same with making knives, there's at a certain point, y- you got to go to the belt grinder and try it and you screw up and you know, you adjust, you move on and then you you learn, you try and do better the next time. And I think a lot of this stuff just compares and kind of correlates back and forth. And I think it's really th- throughout life. I don't care what you're doing. Um, there's a lot of people that think about stuff and talk about stuff, but at a certain point you got to go do it and be willing to actually fail too, you know? Well, it's funny, you know, I was, I was thinking about that uh,
2: as, as you're talking about it, at some point you need to go to the belt grinder and that last knife I had made a, uh, you know, the, uh, the second one I'm working on, I showed it to you and I knew I was not good on the belt grinder. Like right. I, I know this for a fact at this point.
0: Right. Um, Nobody is that hasn't done it much. You oh know? yeah.
2: I mean, it's just like anything. And, and I'm like, I have this knife that I put together, and I, I like, I forged it, and it, I, I did a lot of uh, angle grinding on it and getting the shape out. I'm like, crap. Okay, this looks exactly like I want it to look. Like, right, it's looking perfect right now. I'm like, I really don't want to go f this up on. This. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and and here's the thing. It's like, yeah, you're not. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not. I'm not even going to be good at it. Right. Um, but. I have a choice to make right there. I can look at this and I can stop right there and enjoy the potential that that knife has. Right. I can look at it and I'm like, but it's not a knife. I mean, it may kind of look like a knife, but it's not a knife at that right. point. It's got the potential to be a knife. It's got some great potential to be a knife. Right. It's not a knife. Right. Um. It's not going to be a knife until I go,
0: it may be an ugly knife at that point, but it's finally a knife. It's like you're at 110 yards with that archery shot, and you and you you got it. You got to. You can sit there and hope it walks to you, or you can you can make the stock exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you might you might screw it up, you might not. But there's only one way to find out. You know, and you
2: that season you may not get another stock. You may get you may get ten more. Yeah. You know, you never know. There's always going to be a risk with that. Where you know, I mean, I may. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, it may be a while before I am able to get. I mean, effectively, it was a blank at that point, right? You know, before I can, I can get a nice forged out blank looking quite exactly how I want it again. I, it may take right two or three. I may screw something up or put some deep hammer marks in. You may not get more stocks later right. until the next season, or shoot the way I hunt elk till two seasons later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, oh yeah. But if you don't take that risk, you're never going to get any reward. And like you said, you're never going to learn anything.
0: Right. And honestly, a a lot of these pursuits, um, it's not necessarily about the end result either. You know, and that's, I mean, yeah, if you're wanting to be a full-time knife maker and you're trying to make a living off of it, it's a little different. Um, I guess that would be like, if you're an outfitter, then you better be able to find animals and (laughs) <laughs> Help somebody sneak up on them. But, you know, uh, you know. let's face it, a lot with a lot of archery seasons that go by that you don't harvest something and whatnot, um, if you really hated it that much, you wouldn't be... If it was just about killing stuff, you'd go grab a gun and, you know, it, make it a lot easier on yourself. So it's more about the pursuit, uh, you know, and I'm sure your knife making is similar where it's like, it's about the pursuit of that perfect blade, not necessarily you know, that end result. And so I think there's a lot, there's a lot about that. And then, and then when it does finally work out after a lot of hard work, it just feels that much better, you know. Oh yeah. Thinking about all the failures and the, the trials and tribulations of it. Well, and that's, that's kind of what we were talking about earlier is, you know, you, uh, you
2: were kind of giving, you were kind of saying like, okay, if you want to make a good knife quicker, cut out stock. Like, don't, you know, don't, don't take bar stock, hammer the crap out of it. Right. Screw it all up and then try to make a knife. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if you got stock the right size, cut it out, start with the grinding and you'll get a better knife quicker. If you're looking to
0: have the experience of forging something out, yeah, then the only way you're going to do that is by forging something out. But it's similar to like the guy saying he wants to bow hunt and kill animals. And then he's, and then he tells you he's going to start with a recurve. Yeah, and you know, it's like okay. Well, if killing an animal is really the most important thing to you, you might want to start with a compound. But I mean, you might want to start with a rifle, <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. That, but but if but if you're if you're more like, but it's like no, I want to I want to use the recurve. And it's like okay, are you willing to fail more often? Yeah, it's it's what I want to do. Well, then mm-hmm. that's fine. And same thing with forging. Like, you know, um, are you willing to fail? Are you willing to fail a little more often or have less less perfect results? Um, then start there and again that's everybody's pursuit is different you know everybody's uh, you know idea of, of what they enjoy and what they're wanting to get out of it's different and Some guys might want to sit in a in a blind that looks a lot like a house with a with a heater and a, a radio down on quiet um, and then the next guy wants to go on a 10-day backcountry death march you know um, so everybody's into it for different reasons but where I get bothered is when you start seeing, you know, some of the internet trolls like wanting to tear somebody down for, say, you make a knife and post it up and they're like, well, that doesn't look like Josh Smith's knife or, you know, why'd you do that? Why'd you leave the hammer marks and not get it out? And, you know, or same thing with the hunting. Well, why are you hunting in that blind and why aren't you out there sneaking around like the Blackfoot Indians used to do? And it's like, you know, everybody's into it for their own purposes and their own reasons and that should be good enough for everybody else. You know, I'm more into the positivity of it and... um. Now, if somebody asks me, how do I get better? And can you critique something? Well, then that's where yeah. you better not be sensitive. I'm going <laughs> to, if you ask me, I'm going to tell you, this is wrong. This isn't right. This is how you should fix it, you know? Um, But yeah, I don't, I don't like that when people just start offering up their opinion on other people's pursuits of kind of, yeah. of happiness,
1: you know?
2: Well, that's one thing, honestly, like I've appreciated about uh, a lot of the hunting community in general, but then even getting into knife making and forging recently, holy crap, you guys have been weird. Like, it's like almost weird how supportive y'all have been of of what I've been doing. Like, cause I'll get, you know, I posted up my progress and let's face it, that first knife, that's a weird shaped knife. Like it's got lumps here and like I was kind of going for a Skinner profile, but it just didn't quite turn out like I intended. Yeah. And eventually it got to the point, like I said, where I was just like, I just want to slap a handle on this thing and work on my next knife. Yeah, like I want to finish one knife so I can say I did it Mm -hmm. and then work on the next one, be more of a perfectionist with it. But like, you know, I had you and Will and Laura and like all these guys, like, You know, because I tagged, I spammed the crap out of you guys over the last month, (laughs) I swear. I almost feel like I need to apologize, but... um, No, it's all good. You know, you guys have been sharing all that stuff, and with, you know... Laura, one of the most encouraging people on this earth, dear, dear Lord. She oh, Laura's not nice. Nobody likes her. Oh yeah, nobody. She's just not authentic either. <laughs> no. You know, it's a shame. Um, yeah. Just a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually message her that all the time. Anytime she posts something where she's teasing uh, Neron, Yeah. Neron, Neron, Uh I always, I'm like, you're, you're a terrible person, Laura. You're a horrible, horrible <laughs> yeah. person. Yeah. Um, But, uh, I mean, yeah, talk about, like, everyone's cheering section. She is like, yeah, you're awesome, like, all the time. Uh, She's great. But it's been great. And then, you know, sometimes you post something, you're just like, look, I did something. I just want to share it. Right. And then other times, like, and typically it'll be a private message. Like, all message will, or you, and I'll be like... I am dying right now because I cannot get this right. Right. What am I doing wrong? Critique the crap out of this or how can this be better? And then you can tell when somebody's looking for a critique and when they just kind of want to share something they're proud of. Right. There's times, times for that and times there are not.
0: (laughs) Right. For sure. Yeah. No. And I've seen guys offend people where they've, you know, and some guys don't maybe have the filter. I've seen people hand, hand a knife to a knife maker to show and the knife maker starts to tell them how terrible it is and what they need to fix. And the guy's like, I wasn't looking for that, you know, but then you do, you get the guy that comes up that wants to be a professional knife maker. And that's where I was always as a kid. Like it's one thing I was pretty good at was taking criticism. And, uh, and the guys I were around were not afraid to tear me down and tell me I was terrible. So, um, but I, I, for the most part took it really well and it's what I wanted, you know, and I was wanting to be like those guys. So I was always trying to improve my stuff. And, um, so yeah, everybody, everybody's in it for different reasons for sure. But, um, I, I, I think it's cool and you're right. The knife making world is super, super supportive of each other. There's very, and I, and I hope it stays that way because, you know, I keep talking about 20 years ago, (laughs) but, uh, back then you had to go to knife shows to sell stuff. You know, you had to go to hammer-ins or different people's shops to learn stuff. So it was a real tight community, even though it was still even pretty big back then. Well, now it's exploded with YouTube and the internet and forging Fire and all that stuff. And so, um, I hope that we don't lose that kind of sense of community and sharing and whatnot that, that we had back then, you know, and it seems to still be pretty good. Um, Cause that's pretty special for sure. It's, it's always interesting when you get
2: an influx of, of new people into a community, how is that going to, it's going to affect the community one way or the other. Right. Um, whether it's Californians moving into Montana or, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or, you know, or new people moving into the hunting space or the, the forging and knife making space, whatever that happens to be, it's going to affect the community. And, and it's always a, it tends to be a crapshoot whether that is it's going to be for the better or for the worse you never really well
0: yeah and you can you can be whether you're a hunter um or a knife maker you you know say you're somebody in my position that's been around a while and reached a, a you know some some level of success and you can either bitch about it and just talk talk crap about these new guys coming in and you know and basically just kind of be a complainer or You can hopefully help direct some of those people. Maybe let them know when they're stepping a bit out of a out of line, or or maybe give them some advice that helps them see a little different perspective. And same thing with the hunting. You can, you know, uh, you you can you can complain about some tactics or a way somebody's posting about how they're going about something, and maybe not putting them on blast right on their page, but a, a DM of saying, "Hey, you know." maybe maybe next time you pull up to your hunting spot and there's a truck parked there, you shouldn't just pull up next to him like you're in a target parking lot and get out and follow his tracks up the hill. Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe and here's why. And maybe that guy didn't have any idea that that was frowned upon. You know, like, why don't you go down around the corner and find a different draw to walk up in, you yeah. know? And and hopefully guys that are experienced can help guys that, that aren't learn and become better rather than just complain about them. And because that doesn't, that doesn't really solve anything you know, so I think the knife making world's pretty good about a lot of the more experienced guys kind of helping guide some of the younger guys in, in and around on that. Yeah. And it's, it's been, I tell you what, it's been fun getting into
2: this. Like it's, it's something I've always kind of had in the back of my head is just like, you know, that'd be cool to make an, you know, you see, I I feel like there was a a while back, there's like a big resurgence of of people grinding out like old files and making knives, you know, mm-hmm. about that kind of like in the earlier days of YouTube, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a big resurgence around then. Cause I remember seeing a bunch of those videos and thinking like, that would be kind of cool. I want to try that sometime. And, you know, just literally with yeah. like a, a file and a, and a, it's you know, a heck of a stress but. relief
0: too. Cause you know, I tell people and actually we're going to be doing some stuff here with some veterans and whatnot, where there's quite a few stories now out there about, guys who are making knives, whether they're full-time guys now or or still as hobbies, but guys that, that, that find that couple hours in the evening beating on the anvil or standing at the belt grinder or whatever, kind of as a therapy, kind of get away from the stress of the day if you've had a bad day at work or you're stressed about your company or whatever, where you can go out at 6.30 after dinner for a couple hours. And if you're trying to learn how to grind, you better not be thinking about anything else than... Learning how to grind, and if you are forging and hitting a hot piece of steel, you are pretty much concentrating on that. And it's a way for some people to just kind of escape. And maybe you are making a knife, or maybe you are making a a set of hooks for your wife for kitchen for something or whatever. Um, You know, uh, or you know, a barbecue flipper or whatever. A lot of these things, and I think that's where hunting is a lot. A lot of times, it's it's an escape from reality. And if you want to go kill an elk. Um, you better kind of be fully invested in that mentally mm-hmm. and not be thinking about your, what you got going on at work while you're doing it, you know? Oh yeah. You're in the,
2: you're out in the elk woods and suddenly you're, you're stressing about a project or whatever it happens to be. You're not going to catch that flash of an ear or a tail. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to catch that movement, hear that sound. You're going to be so in your head, you're going to miss it. Right. You do that on a grinder and, Suddenly, it's through your missing fingers, through your <laughs> gloves, and and halfway to the bone on your yeah. knuckle. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. That's kind of the one thing, you know. We we're joke. We were talking about grinders the other day, and I've got you know Mister Garbage Grinder, um, and that thing. That thing's bad enough on my gloves. Like I've I've caught my knuckles a couple times on that, and that thing's slow as molasses compared to the ones you know you're you guys are running. A lot of the times, those higher end grinders yeah. that are just
0: humming man yeah 36 grit belt can uh can take some height off in a real hurry i was gonna say man i feel like you look at that thing a little too closely and like your skin's coming off <laughs> oh man i've had some good ones i've had some flat fingers before that's for sure
2: yeah that's that's the one thing i was gonna ask i'm like do you just get used to like not having feeling in your fingers after a while or do you just get better at not doing that yeah um. it's,
0: it's actually funny when i went to get my concealed carry permit renewed here this spring um or this winter, I was, uh, she, you know, they try and do the whole fingerprint thing, and it's and it's it's computerized, you know. Now you put it like on a screen, and it like reads. It's not the old ink thing anymore. And uh, she got one of my ten prints, and she's like, she's like, oh, we see people that work with their hands a lot. She's like, but yours are like really slick, like worn out basketball. And I was like, yeah, it's from. Sandpaper, you know, hand sanding and, and all that grit. And it's hard to build up calluses when you keep losing skin, you know. <laughs> Between that and uh, nicking them on belt grinders, I don't have much of a fingerprint left. And I was kind of worried they weren't going to give it to me, but <laughs> I got it somehow. Well, it's like,
2: and the grinders are bad. Like, I've gotten a few uh, few slices from sharpening. The one that always gets me is when I'm, when I'm doing something with the angle grinder and yeah. – I need to change like the angle of the knife and the vice or whatever. And I just, I'm just not thinking and you know, I'm maybe I'm not wearing gloves, whatever happens to me. And I go to grab it and move it. And I hold on just a little bit too long. And I'm like, well, won't I have a feeling in that finger for the next two yeah, weeks? Those,
0: those angle grinders, especially when you're using those cutoff wheels can be really dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Gloves are no gloves. They don't, that doesn't slow them down much. Oh yeah. There's been a couple
2: of times where I, you know, again, like I am wearing gloves and you know leather gloves, heavy duty. And, I'll grab it and I'll, I'll be grinding away at something. I'm just not thinking I grab it and I hold it up and I'm looking at it. And all of a sudden I notice my gloves are smoking. I'm like, Oh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, um, for sure.
2: So I've, I've wanted to ask and you know, you bring up forged in fire. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned it. You brought it up. <laughs> uh, I guess. Yes. I did bring it up at the beginning. You mentioned it more recently, but yeah. um, you know, there is a huge resurgence with Forged in fire or with, knife making from Forge and Fire and the the actual forging aspect of it, I feel like. Right. And I feel like a lot of that stuff has happened with hunting as well. Uh you know, a lot of hunting media online is has right. done the same thing. And uh You know, y- you watch Forge I I watch Forge and Fire. And I like I kind of take everything a little bit with a grain of salt. I'm like, okay. Right. And but I am curious like how much, you know, what you end up with on TV at the end of a show, how accurate is that to like what's actually going on? in the studio like or in the
0: in yeah, the Yeah, I, I get that question a lot actually and uh um you know I'll I'll hand it to them actually it's it's pretty it's pretty much what you see is what you get There, I was relieved that they're not they're not super into like creating a bunch of drama there's not a bunch of bs that's made they do and now and then they and they did it with me a little bit here and there there's like a clip that's like okay well I didn't say that at that moment like that's weird you know so they'll they'll do a little bit of that not not much yeah. and nothing I didn't see anything like at least in my case it wasn't like egregious where I was like mad about it
2: but Well it's funny I always feel like there's there's the one scene where the guy like finds the warp in his blade or something happens with the handle and it makes it feel like it's happening with 30 seconds left Right and and I'm like Okay, maybe that happened with twenty minutes left, but I feel yeah, like
0: they dramatize some of a that a little and, bit. But and they'll interview you, ask after, and ask you kind of about something, or they'll even ask you to like say something or whatever about that, and then maybe they'll put it right on top of it as it's happening, as yeah. if you said it right then. But um, but really, for the most part, uh, when they start the clock on like the time stuff, when you're actually in New York and you're doing it, when they start the clock. They leave you alone, and the only reason they stop the clock is like for a medical thing. Yeah. Um, when that happened in ours, one of the guys kind of got overheated, and they just stopped everybody, stopped the clock. We just kind of took a time out, let him, um, which was great. I would, I would way rather let him let a guy kind of get his feet under him and then go back to it. Um, yeah. So it's pretty good that way and I don't have too much of a problem with that show. I mean there's little things I, I wish they were more supportive of the knife makers from the standpoint. they should put their first and last name and maybe put their Instagram up or their website like it would help some of those makers better. Um, uh, you know I actually am the one responsible for getting their their policy changed you know they used to keep the weapons um, the first and second place weapons uh, they didn't give them back. And my argument was the first place one, that's fine. They've paid you 10 grand, you've won yeah. it. In my mind, they kind of bought the weapon with that. Um, the second place guy, though, like there was some stuff happening where those knives were, or those swords were basically just sitting in their basement rusting. And I was like, look, half of those blades are cracked or broken or whatever. And maybe it was grandpa's only shot at quote unquote fame. Or a lot of those guys are part time makers. You don't see a lot of guys on there that are real serious high-end knife makers yeah um so it's like a big deal to those guys that they were on that show and like in my case i took second both times um my sword uh the second one i knew i cut myself a little bit short on my heat treating because i had i was running out of time at home and so my edge chipped on my last one um but like my first one was a perfectly beautiful sword and uh Felt like I should have won it, but that's a different story. (laughs) But when I got those back, I was able to sell them. So I was able to get, what, seven or eight grand a piece for those things. So uh, that was my other thing. It's like, well, if you're really worried about wanting to help support the knife makers, these guys are coming out there and spending maybe two two or three weeks out of their whole month. It's really more like three to four by the time it's done. Um, Knife makers are generally living check to check. Yeah. So you take a month away from them of earnings, that 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 kinda hurts them, you know. But uh Well and do they I'm assuming they wouldn't like,
2: you know, the they give you the stock for Yeah, you know, the beginning, but uh for the for that final blade for the uh for the whatever championship round, whatever it's called, that's your own stock, isn't it? Yeah, they
0: give you a little stipend like a couple hundred bucks or something. Um it it pretty much covers the materials. Uh, I don't know that it really fully, it, you know, it definitely doesn't cover your time. Oh, yeah. It'll cover a little bit of propane for your forge and some steel, but... Um, I was a little bit curious about that. I'm like, because, cause, you know, they especially they still play like, you'll
2: never see that blade again, you know. Right. Uh, you must now surrender your blade. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm like, crap, did homie just, like, use all his remaining leaf springs to make that giant battle axe? And now right. he,
0: like... Now it yeah. gets nothing? <laughs> yeah, no, and that was a big problem of mine and and you know, I was telling and you know, the other thing is is they would have a lot more talent on there if they would up their prize, you know, their prize money. I mean, when they started that off, it was 10 grand and they were they were making a basically a pilot or a, a show that they weren't sure is going to stick around and yeah. years later it's one of the more popular shows on television. You know, financially they're doing better than they were when they came up with the 10 grand. You know, and I've told them if you They've asked me to come back on it and I'm like yeah, well make first place 100 grand and we'll talk, you know. If they if they did something like that, you'd start seeing the level of knife maker there would be crazy good, mm-hmm. you know. But for 10 grand for a whole month of work you may or may not get, it's not really worth it to a guy who's, you know, maybe doing fairly well in a shop already and got a backlog of orders. And it's not it's not the kind of show that's going to you know, you're not walking away from their Brad Pitt and Famous, you know.
2: Well, and it's like, and and that's kind of the thing. It's like, okay, what's the goal with the show? Is the goal to have the highest-end knife makers competing against each other? And if, you know, and I know they always do different rounds and like, the Champions League and, you know, this and that, the international one. and Right. I did, yeah, I watch a lot of the show. Um, yeah. But it's like, okay, is the goal to have the highest-end knife makers competing against each other, or is the goal to have kind of your your average joe knife maker seeing what they can do and like proving how good they are because because that average joe knife maker is probably going to benefit a lot more from being on that show and getting that exposure than say somebody who's already has every knife they've (laughs) they're making sold out you know six months in advance kind of a thing
0: i don't know that they think about it that much honestly like when i got that policy changed Uh, i i i had to take some channels and finally got to the executive producer and and then it took months and and then he got it and it was it was great and we had some talks and he you know you're talking about a lot of people that generally make tv shows about fashion or food or whatever and yeah i don't know that they really put a lot of thought into that part of it and honestly i think their goal their show is just to make money for them um, because you know, the way that works is history Channel's not making it. There's a, yeah. a separate production company makes the show, gets it all done. And then they sell it to the history channel and the history Channel's selling ads. I mean, so I don't know that there's much thought that really goes into like helping the knife maker or the knife industry. They like to say yeah. they kind of do, but a lot of the things we've suggested, I know Jason Knight, you know, the, you know, he was on there as a judge forever. I mean, him and I have both had some of the same suggestions for him and- you know, even as a judge, you know, we've kind of fallen on deaf ears. But I don't want to make it sound like I'm bitter towards a show or anything like that. I think it's been good for knife making. It's, it's, uh, it's put eyeballs on our industry. Um, it's made a lot more knife makers, which I guess could be, I could consider quote unquote competition. But how many of those guys are going to become serious and really compete? And even if they do, there's plenty of room in the world for what we do. I think more than that, you're going to have a lot of those people that try out or whatever and have a high respect for and end up buying knives, mm-hmm. you know, and create collectors. And I remember when telling people I was a knife maker used to be a weird thing, like you were <laughs> a weirdo, you know. And nowadays you tell people you're a knife maker and their first thing they say is, well, were you on and fire? So yeah. it's not <laughs> from that aspect. I think it's helped like normalize what we do. Instead of just the weird weapons guy, that there, there's nice. a knife pun right there. Eh? You know, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Normalized, so uh, important part of the heat treating process. There
2: we go. There's your there's your term to research for the day.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> be a test later.
2: Um, you know that's a. It's like anything, and I feel like it's it's the idea of you hear that in the hunting community a lot. It's like you got half of the people that are like, "Awesome, hunting's becoming." More of a mainstream accepted thing. It's great for the community at large, but then you got a lot of people. Same thing, where it's like it's already so hard to get a tag right now. Oh my gosh, there's so many people in the woods. Ah, and it's yeah. There's upsides and downsides to both of it, but it's so much of it depends on your attitude and how you want to go at it, and and you know, you. I feel like you kind of have the attitude of a a, a rising tide lifts all ships, one way or the other, where it's like okay. You know, if you're angry about it, maybe you either need to step up your game or you weren't as good as you thought you were.
0: Yeah, and and I honestly think if it wasn't yeah, the the hunting stuff in the videos and whatnot, there's definitely explosion you know, helps kind of explode that market, it might make it harder to get tags and whatnot. But I think even without that, population wise and whatnot, it would still be hard to get tags. It was hard to get tags in nineteen ninety five for the Gardner <laughs> tag when you wanted to get an elk tag. I mean, I remember I was I was a kid. Every year from 12 years old on, I was putting in for that gardener tag down around Yellowstone. Um, And it was basically impossible. So I don't think that's changed a hell of a lot. But honestly, um, I think if it wasn't for shows like maybe shows like Meat Eater and some of that stuff and and like Ranella going on Rogan and some some of those people, um, how else is a non-hunter or let's just say how else is a totally anti-hunter going to see somebody doing it right and maybe have a chance of change in their perspective. And maybe being like, wow, I actually kind of learned something about, like, maybe these guys aren't just the poachers that we're seeing in Africa. Maybe they're actually, like, legit people. And, and maybe that celebrity, that, that favorite country music singer that they see, and they see Luke Bryan out hunting or something. And it's like, well, God, I was anti-hunting, but I love Luke Bryan. He wouldn't do anything bad. <laughs> you know, maybe that kind of stuff, I think, is what keeps us to have hunting because let's face it. I mean, they tried to get rid of bear hunting in California here recently. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always a push for getting rid of this stuff. And I think the only thing that keeps that alive right now is some of that stuff that you find on TV. And I mean, they got a hunting show on Netflix. I mean, if that shows you that it's still fairly mainstream, if it was really considered that bad, you know, we know how the th- it is with the media these days. They oh, wouldn't yeah. have it on Netflix, you know.
2: And it's not, and I mean, and it's not the hunting show where the guys, you know, the made out to be a clown or a joke or right. like that it's a controversial dramatic thing. No, it's like a, it is a celebrate, like Ranella's show is
0: a meat a celebration of hunting right. and the whole
2: process and all
0: aspects of it. And he can control the narrative. Yeah, yeah. You're not having some documentary made by a CNN anchor, and you have no. They come interview me in my shop, and then the next thing you know, it's been twisted into this terrible production on hunting or knives or whatever. Um, that's that's the nice thing. Whether it's Jana Waller or it's Ranella or whoever it is, they're involved in that production and they can control the message that's being put out. And for you know the vast majority of all that stuff, it's all super positive which is it's, good good yeah. for us as hunters and it, you know it's like I've, I've talked about this before
2: and a lot of people have talked about this to where hunters you know and, and there's a little bit more with, you know if you include like anglers in this but hunters com- comprise like four to five percent of the population then you've got like extreme anti-hunters they're on the other end they're you know maybe uh, anywhere you know three to five percent of the population as right. well there that leaves, at a, you know, at minimum, like ninety percent of the population yep. that decides what's going to happen with hunting when legislation comes up, right? And so that's a big ass pendulum, yep, that can swing either way, yep. And you know, it's not they're not it's not all cohesive, but it's important. You know, people are uh, so many people, and I mean, I, like I'm not the guy that's gonna sit and only use the term harvest every time and right. be super shy and gentle about it but i'm also not the guy that's gonna when i post a trophy photo a uh, uh, gripping grin and i actually just wrote an article about this that i shared recently um i'm also not the guy that's gonna have the bloody animal like holding the mouth open like doing right. doing dumb shit that's going to give a bad impression and i've had friends that are not super they're not anti-hunting but they're not really pro hunting either and they've reached out to me they're like sam it's really amazing what you decide to share you know like it, it it and how you share it and that's not me patting myself on the back i'm just saying more people need to consider consider that giant pendulum that can swing either way when they make decisions on what to you know, put out there. And that's, that's a whole rabbit hole.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's easy to just say, screw those people. Like who cares what that idiot thinks? But the problem is that idiot might be a congressman in California, like, mm-hmm. and, or a voter. And like you say, like, yeah, it it is a bit ridiculous sometimes what people get offended by, but you know, we, uh, we just did that with my kid, all three of my kids shot pretty nice mule deer bucks this fall. And, um, one of them were kind of bloodied up pretty decent on the mouth and stuff. And so we, we took a little, you know, fair amount of time. I, I always carry a bunch of baby wipes in my pack cause we weren't packing it, We weren't on a goat hunt, you know? So I had to yeah. keep baby wipes in my pack for cleaning up hands and stuff when we're done doing whatever. And, um, so we actually took quite a bit of time cleaning up my daughter's deer, got it all nice and cleaned up and then took the pictures. And cause like the people that follow me on my Instagram, I may mean, I have a decent following, especially on my, uh, on my personal page and a lot of those people are into custom knives and the forging and whatnot, but they're not necessarily hunters. And so even like my, uh, I don't know how I'm related to her. She's some, we call her aunt Sally, but I don't know how she's actually really related. But anyway, (laughs) she tells me she unfollows me every hunting, hunting season, then refollows me after hunting season. She's in Seattle and she says she just can't take it. And I, I understand it's just not her thing, but like for people like that, that, and she's not anti-hunting she just doesn't really like it you know so why give why why turn that person into a total anti-hunter by looking like a jackass you know maybe if you just like you're saying do a little bit of a decent job with your photos and stuff you might keep that lady from maybe she'll even skip it on the ballot maybe she won't yeah. for or against she'll just skip it you know that might be enough to keep it Keep it to where we can keep our hunting or keep our bear hunting or whatever you know. Yeah, it's it's important, and if it's as important to people as they like to
2: to say it is, they need to stop being lazy about what they're doing and and consider consider those other people and how. Well, and it's going to affect larger selfish. than yeah. It's your selfish because
0: it's for our own. It's for our own good. Ultimately, yeah. it's not even really for those people. It's for yourself to oh, keep absolutely. to keep your
1: log on to midwayusa.com.
2: So um if folks, uh you know, changing topics here, we're getting intense. Um, yeah. <laughs> say somebody, you know, we've talked a lot about this community, the knife, knife making community expanding. And, you know, uh, this podcast is mostly about, mostly about hunting, fishing, the outdoors. And there's a lot of tie in, sure. but I'm also in, uh, completely obsessed with forging and and knife making now. And so I want to talk about what I want to talk about. Yeah. So if you don't like it, well, don't unsubscribe. Just listen to the next episode. I uh, I have the occasional random episode where I'm just like, you know, this isn't typical, but I just want to record this. Um, But so with this resurgence of of, of people into knife making, um, what is, uh, how would you recommend, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, taking it step by step and maybe uh, just uh, start doing stock removal first. But what are some resources that you think, you know, we've, we've talked about Laura. I know Laura has her book and mm-hmm. and that was a big inspiration. That's been a huge help for me as a reference. But there's also stuff in there like sharpening that I struggle with still. And I I take it step by step and I'm still like, I cannot get this. Are there are there classes you would recommend? Like how would somebody that wants to get into this, what's a good way for them to start? How can they, they find stuff? Even if, even if it's maybe not an in-person class, but something online or what's out there.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're definitely in a lucky age with YouTube and some of the stuff that's available and some of the YouTube channels. Um, some are more for entertainment, some are more for learning. Uh, and some of the forums, uh, the American Bladesmith Society, their website's a good place. They have a forum that's got, you know, some good information. You gotta be careful on some of the forums because people are internet experts and then you find out they never made a knife, you know, Uh. but, um, Jason Knight has a good, uh, like forged series where he does, he kind of goes through forging a blade and, and, and he's going to be expanding on that. And those are online, like, uh, Classes that you can order that you can buy, um, you know, for like a hundred bucks or 150 bucks or something like that. Um, there's free YouTube videos out there. I need to do better with my YouTube because I've got people asking me all the time, and it's just a matter of time of shooting the videos. But I have some YouTube videos on mine. Uh, well,
2: it's so often you like hop on to doing something, you're like, Crap, I should have been. I should, oh, I, I should have just set up the camera and filmed yeah. this little thing and could talk through it while I'm doing it. But.
0: I, I definitely need to do more of that. Cause I, I do stuff out here all the time that I should, I should be videoing. And sometimes when it's fairly basic to me, I don't realize how important it might be like to you, you know? And it's like, man, that would really help. That would really help somebody if I had just videoed that. But <laughs> so there's that, um, you know, there's uh, there's hammerins that you can go to, uh, especially if you're around the country and people are probably listening to this all over the country, um, back east, down south. Uh, a hammer-in is basically a gathering of knife makers. Uh, there's different styles where some are hands-on, some are more like a class where you just come and you sit and you watch, and you watch a guy work and talk and you can ask questions. Uh, finding local knife makers in your area uh, again, through that American Bladesmith Society website, you can kind of go through and search for people by state, which is handy. Um, you know, it's it's tough because I, I try to help people. I get so many DMs and emails, it's a little hard, but I could just do that full time, it seems like. But, you know, instead of like DMing me, try to DM somebody there's and there's a lot of knife makers in every state that maybe have the chance of of driving to their shop and and I always encourage people like, man, also offer to pay for a class because even if it's a few hundred bucks for the day, the amount of information you can learn can literally save you three years worth of work of screwing stuff up. Or maybe he'll save you a $1,000 on a grinder you were going to buy that you shouldn't or a piece of equipment that you thought you needed that, oh, no, I don't need that yet. I should buy this. Um, and just learning a setup, seeing a setup with your own eyes of like, how did a guy set a shop up? Um, so some of that and, but being willing to pay a guy, cause maybe that guy's put 30 years into, to learn what he's learned. And, um, you know, you're, you're asking for information. So, so there's that, but, uh, in the Instagram, honestly, there's so many guys showing little tips and tricks, following, following guys like Jason Knight and myself and Will Stelter and some of these other people, uh, uh, and there's some books, Laura's book and uh, some books that have been written before. So, yeah, that's kind of... I think I've, I'm
2: pretty sure it's it's funny right now because, you know, I've, I've, I've got a decent following on Instagram and I've, I've been posting the hell out of everything I'm doing and I get to, I and I just laugh because I have... Me alone, like, I have so many people reaching out being like, hey, man, I see you're, like, you're forging knives now. Like, how do I get started? I'm like, oh, dear Lord. Like, I'm like... <laughs> yeah. um, I'm pretty sure I've sold like 10 or 20 copies of Laura's book cause I'm like, at, at least like get this book. It's an easy way. It's something you can read. And right. she goes through like a super basic way of starting. Like, I mean, right. Shoot. She teaches you how to, um, how to heat treat from a pit fire. Like, you know, build a little brick. Right. Two fire brick forge with a, a propane torch. Right. And so, which honestly is like, for ninety percent of people that are are messaging me and probably messaging you as well, yeah, that's all they're ever going to need. They're going to make one knife and be so stoked on it, and then probably maybe right. decide to hammer on some stuff later down the road. But right. you know, I, I I can only imagine how many people with all, everyone reaching out to me. I'm like, dude, I'm still I'm I'm still using the the uh, Harbor Freight hammer on uh, on that piece of steel I beam, which works great. Yeah, but yeah.
0: Um, Well, it's the same, like you, I think you said earlier when we were talking about knife making equipment and stuff, and it's like, you know, not everybody has a Swarovski pair of binoculars or sick Mm -hmm. of pants, you know, I mean, you can, you can still go hunting, you can go hunting without binoculars, you can go hunting with, in a pair of jeans, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, so, uh, same with the knives, like there's the ultimate and it really comes down to budget and what your goals are, but. You're right. There's some really simple ways and some people on the internet have come up with some really cool little ways to, you know, make it work with what you got, you know? It would be, it would be really interesting, like for someone like you or
2: or Will or someone to do a video where you, you find like, you know, probably someone that's a little bit further along with me than me, but like that has somewhat of a skill set, but it still has like, is maybe using a railroad track in a, in a, Right. old hammer and, and like quote unquote non-ideal equipment and then effectively kind of do a, a a wife swap with it like yeah and 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 do it side by side where maybe like they bring their gear to your shop and you have a little like okay this is the difference between a you know a lifetime of skill versus like somebody that's just starting right the equipment doesn't matter as much and like you know have you like forge out a knife side-by-side with them using some of the nicer tools and right. you you see how it compares and it would yeah. be it it would be an interesting side-by-side video
0: like yeah you could definitely it would it would definitely be interesting that's for sure
2: what's that what's that old uh, reality show do you remember that like the family swap where they swap like
0: the, oh, yeah. Some like wife swap or something. Yeah. Like that. It, was, it was
2: something like that where they swap the, the husband or the wife and they like run, the, like it's a whole family or yeah. something for. It seems
0: really weird. That whole that swapping nice shops would be, would be all right. Doing the wife swap would be, <laughs> be a bit odd. Um, so th-
2: there, there is one other thing I wanted to ask you about in, uh, you know, you just recently got back from winter strong yeah. and literally you had messaged, you know, when we were first talking about having you come on the podcast and me coming up for a visit, uh, you're, you're like, oh yeah, you know, both Laura and I are going to be out for winter strong and this and that. I'm like, huh? Yeah. And I don't know how I've never heard of this because I knew like 60% of the people that were there. I'm like, I, I saw the same, <laughs> The same instagram stories oh i'm sure 90 because laura would post something then you'd share it but then uh, brandon lily would share it and then right and then um <laughs> you know the Eberly someone Stock over here and, would, and, yeah and, and literally and people that you know i'm good i'm pretty i consider myself friends with ryan mickler mm-hmm. uh and he was there and you know then you've got um uh, this guy from tennessee that i know and this guy and literally people from I know in the industry, but from all different walks of it yep. are, are coming together. And I'm like, how have I never heard of this thing? When again, I know 60% of the people that are here. And um, I would love it if you would just kind of uh, tell folks what that is, because it is an amazing event.
0: If I was going to tell you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's like Fight Club. no uh it does kind of feel like a little bit of an insider's thing it is yeah i mean a little bit because it is an invitation only thing yeah. so i mean there is that and, and he has to make it that way because you know him he bert soren runs it, that owns sorenex and yeah. you know he knows you know obviously thousands of people in the industry that are all amazing and then everybody that comes has friends that are amazing and so at a certain point he has to just cut it off and make it an invite only deal. But really the idea of it, and I I think what needs to happen is instead of everybody wanting to come there, more people in their own industries in their own way should try to recreate their own little versions of it Mm -hmm. with the people they know. Cause I think that's, that's kind of the point of some of it is that networking and using the friends and the people, you know, um, to bounce ideas off of each other and help each other and push each other. And so that's what his deal is, is he invited really accomplished people from across all different industries and 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 um, disciplines. walks of life and disciplines. But everyone has reached a pretty high level of what they do. To bring them together, to then teach what they do to people who maybe have never made a knife or hunted or shot a pistol, you know. And obviously, with with Sorex, they're uh they ma- they make weightlifting equipment, fitness, you know, home gyms and and gyms on a big big scale for professional teams and whatnot. Uh, he adds that element of of the fitness world into it and staying fit and being healthy and and how that can work to your advantage, you know, when you're getting ready to go on a sheep hunt or on an elk hunt or deer hunting or whatever. Um, and uh, a lot of you know. Uh, ex-military people there and teaching shooting and proper like for myself for example I've shot guns since I was a kid um but was I ever like highly trained by a navy seal about how to shoot or an <laughs> army ranger no so how do you how do you get better at shooting where, where are you going wrong on your technique and um and is this super cool and and everyone has to camp uh he wants everybody in a tent weather sucks it's cold it's rainy you know it's 30 degrees at night and raining during the day. And, uh, but he wants everybody to kind of be in the elements together and experience kind of like what hunting camp is, where, you know, you're all kind of going through some struggle and some stuff together. You're Um, not waking up
2: nice and refreshed every morning with your.
0: No, in the Hilton Garden Inn or whatever, you know. So, uh, yeah. So it was, it was a really, really cool event. And then afterwards, they want that family. There's no egos. There's no. There's no BS, Um, you know, just because you're great at what you do if you're an ass and you're not getting invited. (laughs) And so it's super cool because then the rest of the year you have like this family of people kind of helping push you and supporting you. And, um, you know, it's kind of that thin air, deep water thing and, and pushing people to be great and then go out and try and share what they've learned and learn more knowledge and bring it back next year, you know. And it's, it's so cool because it's such a, like you said, it's multiple
2: disciplines and, and there's so much crossover with a lot of that stuff when, it, you know, whether fitness and hunting and mm-hmm. and knife making and survival skills yep. and, and, archery and rifle shooting. And it's like, there's a definite theme and crossover of, of all of that, right. you know? And um, it's just, it's really cool to see people that are, it's it, they're deep water people. Like you said, it, like, you know, kind of Bert talks about, but you know, they again, they may have never done this one thing before, but they're able to bring that same intensity and attitude. And there's just a type of person. And again, you know, it's something they may have never done before, but They have a leg up because of that attitude already. I feel like yeah,
0: and and they may never do it. You know, a lot of those people that watched me do my forging demo there, there, and some of those people that you know that got to try it out, um, they may they may never do it again. You know, they most of those people aren't gonna ever try to make a knife. But if any if anything, it kind of shows them a a respect for the craft and teaches them a lot where down the road they can they can see that, you know, they, they might look at their knives different. Or like with Laura, Laura Zara was teaching, you know, primitive fire making. And yeah, am I going to ever have to rub two sticks together to make a fire? I mean, I hope not. I hope yeah. I don't have to. But if I do, uh, if I do have to, at least I have a chance now of making it work. But But I think more important than anything is like I have a huge respect now for the amount of knowledge that she's got it's it's more complicated than you think there's little intricacies to it so watching somebody do something like that and you learn the intricacies of what they're good at and what makes them good um just gives you a real respect for that craft which is cool mhm you know
2: it's people at the top of their game i mean it's like it's just, it's just cool to see them them work yeah it's just and and having that many people together i mean i mean the air had to be freaking crackling in that place yeah. like
0: yeah yeah, it was it was really cool. It was really cool. And then at the end they do a competition where you kind of do schoolyard playground, pick your team deal and and uh you know, you're 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 going through looking at the crowd and you're picking out these athletes or you're picking out these people who are super super capable and and then you go compete and you you run an archery course, a three D archery course that's two miles and um up and down through the hills and you're shooting archery courses, but then you're also doing pull ups and squats and kettlebells and and you got to shoot pistols and you got to shoot a rifle. And and then all of a sudden, three quarters of a mile from the end, you think you're done, you're running back. Uh, A bear attack happens and you have to carry one of your people all the way to the finish line without them touching the ground. And so you got to work together and you got to learn some of the, some of the stuff that you, well, all of the things that you kind of saw taught the day before, you then have to implement the next day in your competition. And, uh, you know, other than building a fire, that might make for a long competition. Some of, those, <laughs> some of that takes a while, but it was just really, it was a really neat, like together feeling of competing with each other and mm-hmm. um, supporting each other and and being a team, and uh, and then accomplishing something hard, a hard task. You know, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. That is uh, almost feels like it'd be,
2: it'd be cool if, they, like you were saying, it could be something that turned into a, a there was multiple like smaller like local ones right um almost because there is a cool aspect like i feel like definitely everybody should do something like that within their own uh it, it bring people together and uh, within their own disciplines and whatever that is but it would be cool if uh there, there's something special about that that round uh that that wholeness to the
0: yeah the thing and, and doing it on that scale obviously it'd be hard for most people but but even if surrounding yourself with one person, maybe, maybe, and we, back to what we were talking about earlier about going and seeking out those people that are in that thin air. And maybe on a smaller scale where somebody lives, they can invite six people over that are all, you know, we all know somebody that does something really cool. Well, why not invite six of those people over that all do something really cool that's different and have them all show? And then invite five friends you think would be interested in it that just have maybe an average, you know, maybe they're just they're just a doctor or a lawyer or something that have a, a, a cool, you know, it's, a, it's an important job, a cool job. But like... The, that is my favorite phrase
2: of this podcast, by the way. Yeah. I mean, they're just like a doctor or a lawyer or something. Yeah, no, like. no big deal.
0: <laughs> but like those people, I think a lot of times really respect people that do stuff with their hands and create craft things. Yeah. And uh, invite, maybe invite people like that over... Because then maybe those kind of people will gain a bigger respect for something and and uh, maybe they'll become customers of yours or maybe they'll want to get into it and do it with you, um, you know, or they'll spread the word. And so I think I think people can kind of recreate that in a in a small way in their own towns, you know.
2: Well, those of you that are listening that are that have those skills, start start working.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> I there you go. Expect,
2: I expect to see these events next year, twenty twenty
0: two. Yeah, little baby winter strongs. There we go. There we go. Mini blizzards. No stealing
2: the names. Um, yeah. Make a make up your own name. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> suddenly, Soren X is very angry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> awesome man. Well, if folks wanted to find you, find Montana Knife Company online. Where are they looking?
0: Sure. Uh, my personal Instagram with my custom knives is just at Josh Smith knives. Uh, same thing on Facebook. And then I have uh, at Montana knife company uh, on Instagram, Facebook. We have website, joshsmithknives.com and Montana knife uh, Those are the best way I'm on Facebook, but it pretty much like just posts over there. I don't, I don't do a lot on. Yeah. It's got to limit how much social media guy does, but.
2: I think that's ninety yeah. percent of people. It's like, yeah, I have a Facebook, my Instagram just posted,
0: yeah, which I almost should delete it because then you get people that message or comment and want stuff, and then you don't answer, and it feels like you're ignoring them when you're not yeah. meaning to. But <laughs> yeah, but no, check check it all out. It, we're we're pretty excited with the Montana Knife Company. We're wanting to um, all American, hundred percent American made knives. Um, support the working class people, and yeah, well, we're we're pretty excited.
2: The cool thing I feel like about uh about the montana knife company knives is for a lot of people that's it's it's not a you know 100 percent like custom one-of-a-kind right. piece but it has a lot of the attention that you would put into yep. uh, a custom knife and that's about as close as a lot anyone anyway, you know not everyone can go out and buy a six seven hundred dollar or right. four thousand dollar whatever exactly. happens to be knife yeah um
0: yeah, and I'm, so, I'm hand sharpening every single one of them myself. So, and I mean, you see here, there's blades laying here and handle scales, and we're we're putting them together. And yeah, we're using more machine processes than I am in my custom stuff. Um, but that's that's the only way you can do that and make them yeah somewhat affordable. Um, they're probably still going to be a, one of the more expensive hunting knives out there. But uh, we also sharpen the knife for life, and we'll take care of people, and and we're right here in Montana, so.
2: So make sure y'all check it out on the show notes page. I'll uh, link to that. That will be at thewildinitiative.com. So uh, go give Josh some love. Dude, thank you so much for having yeah. me up, showing me around the shop earlier, uh, answering all my countless questions. Oh, no
0: problem. <laughs> and, uh, well, And I'm always available. You know how to get a hold of me. So happy to do it. I'm, I'm glad to see you. You're a good representative of it. And it's cool to see you kind of crossing over with the knives and the hunting stuff. It's cool.
2: Oh, I do. I, I have so many weird crossovers. I, I'm, I've i always been one of the times. If I see something, I'm like, I
0: have to know how to do as it. As long as you're not cross-dressing, we'll be, we'll be friends.
2: Yeah, well, well, you know, a little <laughs> bit on weekend. Yeah, I'm kidding. Dear Lord. Um, <laughs>
0: anyway, thank you so much for California.
2: having me. <laughs> oh, man. Ouch. That's Ouch. a good way to end it there. On uh, that note, uh, goodbye, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, y'all. That'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this podcast inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild.
3: Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes. Check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from The Wild Initiative family, and more.